today on the Rita Mimi Do It Show. Uh, but I think it's because it's so bite-sized as opposed to, you know, a lot of the other content out there. So for people who are just looking to pass the time but still get informed in certain things, like there's a guy who I, I'm obsessed with who talks about the stock market and explains things to me like I'm 12, which I pretty much am in terms of my emotional maturity. But so there's information on there. And so I think there's two different types of people on there. There's the people that want to be entertained. And then there's the people who are really open to learning about things. Because there's a lot of education happening there in such bite-sized chunks. Because the max you can go is a minute. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a second. I just spent, you know, 20 minutes on here. And I actually got something out of it. Because of Rita, I got on the news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because of Rita, because of Rita, Rita I've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and blogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. Today, I have my dear friend, Rachel D'Alto, with us. Um, I'm just going to hop into this interview and let you get to know her the way I got to know her, which is just by talking with her. But Rachel, I will say you have transitioned your career very similarly to me in that you were a lawyer turned dating coach and beyond, right, except for... You became a television star and you became a TikTok star. But besides those things, we are like the exact same person, <laughs> right? Like, so almost the same, almost the same. But I do have a very serious question for you. What does it feel like to be a TikTok star? <laughs> um, so the TikTok fame is new. Uh, as you know, I, I avoided TikTok like the plague for and in addition to avoiding the plague for the last year. Uh, but I, I avoided it for a while because I thought I had to dance. And I was like, this is stupid, mostly because I can't dance. And I have a book coming out in the fall and it's geared towards millennials and Gen Zs. And everybody I talk to, they're like, you need to get on TikTok because that's where everybody lives. And I'm like, Ugh. and then I got on there and I realized after hiring a girl who barely is out of diapers herself uh, to help me. And she just got it and sent me things like, you should talk about this. You should talk about that. And I found out that I can actually just talk and give my advice, but in like this sassy way that I traditionally do in real life, but not as much on Instagram. Cause I feel like Instagram is like the buttoned up version. Yeah. Cause you, and all of a sudden like videos started going viral and I'm like, wait, what? It's because of the awkward dancing, right? Because I've seen, I've watched. Um, I've, I've only awkwardly danced twice. twice. Okay. Twice. <laughs> okay. I saw one. And none of those went viral. <laughs> so maybe I should take, take well, note. Well, I, take I do want to know, because I'm sure that there are people who are really out there. I mean, a lot of the, the business owners out there listening now are probably like, well, what is the draw of TikTok, right? Is it just awkward dancing and, you know, uh, split screens with other recordings or like, what is the draw? Why do you think it is that people connect with TikTok? You know, I think now that I've been indoctrinated, I've been on it a month and in that month, and this is for anybody who's like, maybe I should do TikTok. I have almost 4 million views in a month. Like that is bananas. Uh, but I think it's because it's so bite-sized as opposed to, you know, a lot of the other content out there. So for people who are just looking to pass the time, but still get informed in certain things, like there's a guy who I, I'm obsessed with who talks about the stock market and explains things to me like I'm 12, which I pretty much am in terms of my emotional maturity. But so there's information on there. And so I think there's two different types of people on there. There's the people that want to be entertained. And then there's the people who are really open to learning about things because there's a lot of education happening there in such bite-sized chunks because the max you can go is a minute. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, I just spent you know 20 minutes on here and I actually got something out of it. So I think it's the delivery method is fun and it's just, it's so quick that it doesn't feel like you're actually learning. Your whole 
topic is about relationships and relationships, your topic, like we all walk around with assigned topics. The topic you've been assigned for in life is relationships and how relationships are like the foundation of everything. So how do you build relationships? I get the, the views, right? I get TikTok has a lot of views. What are you doing to continue the relationships with the people who are becoming aware of you on TikTok? It's a lot of interaction. So in interacting, the same thing in other social medias where you got to respond to comments, you have to continue conversations. A lot of times people then ask me questions in the comments, which then I reply with another TikTok. So it, it helps to grow that in that way. And it's just, you know, having conversations just like we did, you know, and, and yeah. I think we overcomplicate how to form relationships with our audience because we think we have to, you know, there has to be some sort of method and system. And for me, it's no, I, I just talk to them. <laughs> just talk to people. I'm glad we're going to talk about that later. But before we do, I know we have to talk about, uh, you know, like the the elephant in the room married at first sight. So ah. for people who don't know, Rachel is one of the uh, dating experts, dating coaches on uh, season four, four and five. Four and five of Married at First Sight. So how did that opportunity come to you? How did like this show go? You know who we really need to have on this show? We need to have Rachel D'Alto. Yeah, it's a total Cinderella story. Uh, they called my agent. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Podcast done. Guys, I hope that was a great tip. I hope that you go out and grow your business and get all the opportunities. <laughs> no, the longer story is I had been doing TV for a while. So I've been doing television as a dating relationship flirting expert since 2010. And so it's been a minute and I was doing things pretty regularly. After a couple of years of that, I was like, I freaking love TV. And I had no desire to be like, that was not my intention of my career. I was a lawyer who then did a startup in the dating industry. I was going to run the company and still be a lawyer. And then started doing the TV stuff, realized I like that way better than the way law. better. <laughs> so much more fun. Like there's lashes Understood. and hair and makeup. Uh, and like the cameras on me really brought me to life, which is yeah. something, you know, it's just odd. It just, it makes me happy. And so I ended up pursuing uh, getting an agent, ended up uh, signing with an agent. I don't even know, 2014. But Married at First Sight didn't come along until I think that was 2016. So I was with him for a couple of years and he'd submit me for stuff. My funniest thing is when he submitted me as a sex expert for the Playboy channel. And I was like, so I have lines and there it takes a while to cross them. But I don't think either one of those things, neither the title nor the location of that show is probably appropriate for a mother of two who used to hold a, you know, a law like that might be not the thought leadership route that I want. Not what I was going down. for. And I was like, but thank you. First, thank you for for having faith in my abilities, and thank you for uh, thinking that I would fit on Playboy. So I took it as a on Playboy, right? Right. <laughs> I was like, Phew. that digress. So you had been <laughs> in Patrick, right? You had been in you know a field around really relationship building, connecting, building relationships. Date, you know, I, I'm sure like me. You had all the amazing, incredible dating advice around like, don't fall too fast, like don't jump in, like take your time, get to know someone, right? And yet here you are, like, get married at the altar the first time that you ever meet, right? So what were your thoughts about this concept going into it? And then how did you feel about it coming, coming out, out of it? it? Did it change? Did it change your Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. When I first signed on to Married at First Sight, it was the end of the third season, they were looking to shake up the experts. And it was still on FYI and A&E. So it was very much documentary focused. It was not drama. And I sat down because I did like I, I was like, I love the idea of this opportunity. But I want to make sure that people's hearts are in the right spot. And I, I look at it too, from a legal standpoint, I was like, these are legal marriages, like these people are really getting married. So I take a lot of responsibility with that. I was like, Divorce is not easy. You know, I, I interned in family court. Like, I'm not sending these people <laughs> intentionally to this place. So for me, there had to be a lot of integrity going into it. And I put my, like, whole heart into that process. And, and every single participant that I worked with, and out of six marriages, only one is still standing. Uh, they have two kids. So I consider that to be like a solid, I feel like that totally makes up for the other five. It's like very Trista Ryan from right? know, The Bachelor. Yeah. yeah, I was like, so this just justifies all, I don't know that everybody would agree with that statement, but 
you know, I'm still <laughs> close with all of them. There's not one of them that I worked with that I couldn't call or, you know, say like, what are you guys up to? And they wouldn't reply and we wouldn't like, you know, hug it out if we were in person. And that means something to me because I really did want to support them through it. And, you know, it did shift. It shifted when it, you know, you can watch the show and see the shift from A&E to Lifetime. And again, I don't discredit anything in terms of television. I, you know, I've done enough TV to know what you need to do to keep shows on the air and, you know, more power to you. And honestly, the contestants are contestants. <laughs> it's not a game show. No, but the participants, like, you know what you're getting into, too, at this point. It's not like the first season, like Jamie and Doug, I'm like, uh, Courtney and Jason and, and Monet. And oh my God, I forgot her husband's name. I wasn't on that season. So I don't take that take too much responsibility there. But like, they didn't know what they were getting into. So if something happened, like it's no, there's no shame on them. But like everybody who's getting into it now, like, you know, what's happening, you see the drama, you see where things could be going, and you're still signing up for it. So you know, buyer beware kind of thing. But it just, it was time for me to part and do my other things. Well, what is it that you think made the difference for the couple that lasted? Uh, chemistry and real compatibility. I think a lot of the couples did have it. There's, you know, several couples that, that got to love, uh, that I worked with. So, you know, it's not that they failed and I don't believe that divorce is a failure. I think every relationship helps, helps us to grow and learn. Uh, I do wish they lasted a little longer and, you know, we're, we're healthier in that, but with Ashley and Anthony, who did, you know, go on to have two children now, they just had another baby and did not name her Rachel, which I think is bullshit. Uh, but, you know, they have compatibility and they have a chemistry and they also had a willingness. And, you know, Anthony was always like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And Ashley's just like such a cool girl that together there was a combination of just openness and evolution that just naturally happened. And I think that's really important when you marry a complete stranger. A hundred percent willingness, openness and evolution. But I mean, I think that is the foundation for solid relationships in general. How, I mean, this is not, so for all of my listeners out there, dear business owners, if you're single, as always, whenever I talk about anything relating to dating, you're getting a twofer, right? You're getting like how you can connect with your clients and build solid connections in general, but also like maybe some dating advice. So uh, how has the pandemic changed dating? I mean, I know p they're virtual dates, right? People are going on virtual dates now, but at its core, has it redefined what's important for people when it comes to dating? Have you noticed? Yeah, actually, the, uh, the stats say that. So Match does a, uh, I work, um, full disclaimer, I am Match's chief dating expert, but uh, one of the reasons why I love working with them is because they do a lot of research. They're big on figuring stuff out. And I want to pull up the statistic, but there was a, there was a, a significant change in the way people date. So I just found it 58% of single app daters, and this is all apps, not just Match, shifted towards more intentional dating. Uh, people are having more meaningful conversations, but then also this stat of 52% have changed the qualities they look for in a potential partner. So to me, I just find that to be really, really interesting because I think in the past, it's kind of like there was room for fluff, you know, it was like, there's room to just date the person because you thought they were hot. And after the pandemic, it became really evident of, you know, the test is, can I quarantine with you? Can I, right. can I be stuck in a room with you for six weeks without outside contact? And, and that changes the way we look at it. And also, like, I'm probably meeting you vir virtually for the first time for most of the dates, right? So it's not like I could just make out with you at the end of the date. Like, yeah. I actually have to be able to enjoy, <laughs> enjoy, like, sitting with you and talking. It would be really weird know. if you could make out virtually. I guess that's probably I mean, going to happen. You could, but that's yeah. a different that's <laughs> like, episode for the Playboy. <laughs> Playboy podcast. <laughs> I've actually could, done the but... Playboy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise me. Yeah. No, um, but what about relationships? And so when I, you know, I, I was researching you a little bit. I got tired of it. I mean, <laughs> no, but because there's a lot of information out there about you, right? So like, then I also wanted to leave some stuff to like the, the unknown when I was yeah. talking to you. But I did see, <laughs> you know, that the reference in one of your talks to a 2014 study that one out of every four people had zero friends, right? Yeah. And so I'm wondering, why, like, why do you think that is? And how has it changed 
since then, right? 24, do you think it's gotten worse? Do you think it's gotten better? Like, talk to me a little bit. I'm very concerned for, for this statistic. Um, I didn't even know it. So talk to me a little bit about that. I just want to learn more about it. Yeah, it's actually a growing epidemic. Uh, the lack of friendship, loneliness, social anxiety is a growing epidemic. And uh, it is really upsetting to me as well, uh, which is, you know, kind of why I wrote my book and why I focus on this in general, because a lot of the problems, and I'm looking at this from a psychological study standpoint, is, you know, it's not coincidence that this also happened with the enormous rise of social media. So people who don't have friends can go on social media and get a fix, but that's not a healthy fix because that's not a real relationship. And then they're getting more anxiety because they're feeling connected to the outcomes of their attachment to social media. So I did some research on this for, for one of my, my side classes of the connection. And it's, it's really showing that social media causes more anxiety when we're emotionally attached to the likes, when we're emotionally attached to what people are saying on there. So we've created this environment where we're more connected than ever, but it's also creating this opportunity to feel less than simultaneously, which is so unhealthy and, uh, you know, giving an illusion of having connection when you don't have real connection, which is why I love Clubhouse and I love the relationships that we've made on there because, you know, you and I, I, it's a real relationship. It's taken off social media. It's like, you know, we text and we talk and we're chatting now. And it's like, that does not happen for most people and especially the younger generations. I'm going to sound like a get off my lawn moment. Uh, but like millennials and Gen Z's, they've been dealing with this since they could, you know, start talking and we did not have to deal with that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a young Gen X, probably super late millennial, depending on definition, but I didn't have internet until high school. I didn't have social media until, you know, I was married with two kids. So it's just a very different, I had a chance to develop kind of my, my psyche and resilience and it's broke out there. Well, so it's interesting. It's like you knew, you read my mind. You knew where I wanted this conversation to go. So for especially for entrepreneurs, who is mainly the the listening audience on my podcast, right? We, you know, entrepreneurs are told social media is one of the best ways to grow your business, especially right now during the pandemic times, right? When we really can't go out and in-person network yet. And we're not really going out to, you know, in-person events. But so we're told, be on social media, make your connections on social media. Yet I see time and time again, what holds most entrepreneurs back is the connection to the outcome, right? So they're like, well, I need to get the client or I need to get the likes or I need to get comments on this video or I need this thing. And then what that does, I, I was kind of talking about how it just when you when you're waiting for that external validation and the external validation doesn't come, it just reinforces internally right? That you're not good enough. And when you're not good enough, right? What do you want? You want more of the external validation. And then when you don't have that, right? And you just get yourself in this loop. And so the the world, but especially the entrepreneurship world is in the mindset and the coaching is inundated with the message, you're enough, right? And I know you use that message, you are enough. But what does that really mean? If we were, because I know people are like, I'm enough, I'm enough. But like, what does that mean in a practical, tangible way to really start tapping into the fact that you are enough and you can find validation internally instead of externally? Well, the statement itself gives you, with weight attached to it, with emotion attached to it, confidence to put yourself out there without an attachment to the outcome. You know, like you're saying, I think a lot of people go into things goals focused, which is fine to have goals, but, you know, when it's not an immediate gratification that can be a problem since social media is such a, a immediate gratification. It's interesting because, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the reason why when people say, uh, Oh, what kind of relationships do you talk about? And they just assume it's romantic or dating all the time. And I say, no, I was like, I talk, you know, I go into corporations and I talk about relationship building professionally and personally and, and romantically uh, because underneath it all, Putting yourself out there in any situation is completely coming down to the fact that most people don't feel worthy of doing so. And so for me, I am enough is what connects us to that worth of saying, I can put myself out here. I am not attached to the outcome because you know what? If I show up and two people like me, I those are two freaking amazing people, you know, and that's all I need. And 
And whether it's a, a friendship or a romantic relationship or a professional relationship, I am enough is that connection to worthiness. And that is the foundation of every challenge that I've ever seen on any sort of relationship-based problem. Yeah, it really is. Because, you know, when am I when I notice that I'm dragging my feet on doing something, my so my issue is the enoughness, right? If you go, I always say it's the thing under the thing under the thing under the thing, and you get to your thing. And then once you find your thing, it's like, I think some people beat themselves up like, when will that be fixed? And when will I never feel that way again? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, let's just give total permission that it's never really going to be fixed. It's just that you recognize it and you can move past it. So my thing is always that, la- you know, that lack of, of worthiness. And I'll get to if I felt whatever enough, if I felt pretty enough, if I felt smart enough, if I felt like intelligent, if I felt, you know, whatever enough, would I do the thing that I'm dragging my feet on? And the answer is like always, yeah, totally. So then I know it's an enoughness issue and I like need to do the thing, right? So I like the the shift that you give from goals focus to person focus. Like the definition of success that I always have is who am I being, not what I'm doing. And in a in a clubhouse room the other night, Jim Quick came in and he was up on this on the stage with us for a while. And he said, um, stop asking yourself what you can do and start asking yourself who you can be and then show up as that person. And then all of those outcomes will come, right? So instead of focusing on what you're getting, it's like, what are you giving? Who are you being? How are you showing up in the world? So this 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 decline, like you're saying, okay, 2014, one out of every four didn't even have really great friends. Now it's only getting worse. What is the what is the remedy for this? How do we stop this from, you know, isolating everybody even more and creating more anxiety and creating more depression and creating like this disconnection? Like, is there anything that can stop it? Well, I think it's twofold. One, it's it's they that everybody has to embrace that I am enough statement. We have to actually get to the root of it, figure out why I don't believe myself to be because everybody that I talk to, and I, I have had these conversations on TikTok, ironically, of people without friends. And it's, it's they don't feel worthy of those relationships. And they don't feel uh, secure enough to put themselves out there. So part of it's that, that confidence. Uh, so anybody who is in a position where they feel lonely and they feel isolated, it's a it's a nasty cycle because they also don't have the confidence to put themselves in a position to become unlonely. So it's figuring out what is getting in the way of that confidence. How can I work on that with myself? And then making an effort beyond clicks, beyond likes, you know, and and really putting yourself into positions where you can connect with people, whether it is on something like a clubhouse or if it's in a book club or in some sort of organization. And and it's harder now than ever, obviously, because Everything is off, you know, on online versus in person. So the typical things that I would say to do are very different, but it doesn't mean that they don't exist and there's still connections to be made. You know, you and I have not met in person and no, we will. Yeah, but we will. Yeah. We will. It's going to be a party. It's, it's I'm so super excited. fun. So, but- it's really funny. So not funny. Ha ha. All of this is so funny. It's just a lo- <laughs> no, this is terrible. Right. But um. So my husband and I have brought up moving a couple of times. Like we threw around the idea of moving to Key West and and we're contemplating, hi, mom, you don't know this, but we're contemplating like perhaps moving to Savannah. Like we're just exploring. Right? But every time we explore, we stop ourselves because we say, but all of our friends are here, right? All of our friends are in the D.C. area. And if we move to a new place, we're going to have to make friends all over again. And it feels extremely difficult at this age, right, at the ripe old age of 44, it feels really difficult to go make new friends versus when I was 20. What happens between the ages of like 20 and like 35 or 40 where it feels like it's super difficult to make a real connection? Like there has to, because 20 year olds now are still going out making new friends with ease. I think maybe you'll just dispute me on that versus, you know, 40, 50 year olds that like are when they're divorced or when that's the one thing that I see the struggle is like, how do I go meet not even just dates, just new people, new friends, because it feels so difficult. Why is that? I think we're a hot mess after like 10. (laughs) You know, I hear from people where it's once we're done with the playground connections, it becomes really, really difficult because we get scared. People get judgy. 
And then it's just this cycle of fear and judgment, fear and judgment. So we don't put ourselves into these positions. And and the fact is, is that it's just as easy to make a friend at, you know, at our elder state <laughs> as it was. At a ripe old age of, you know, cane walking and milk drinking. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to be willing to be like, just, you know, I, I look at my daughter when she was, you know, just a couple of years ago, I'd be like, go up to somebody on the playground. They want, you want to play with me? They say, no. Okay. Who's next? You know, and, and really we have to embrace that mentality, that playground mentality of, okay, listen, not everybody's going to want to play with us, but we can keep asking and we eventually yeah. will find people that we connect with, but we have to be able to put ourselves in a position to be, you know, p- to be rejected. And that is the human nature is survival. So we, we flight before we fight. And that is what prevents us from actually making friends. And I hate the phrase, please never say this to me. Anybody listening, I have enough friends. Nobody has enough friends. Oh, me too. Oh, Oh, that that phrase makes me so angry when I hear, you know, I have enough friends already, so I don't really need to. It just makes me so. So why does it make you angry, that phrase? Because it just, it's so limiting. And it's so, you know, it's, it's such a. So there's that, you know, growth and fixed mindset that I love to talk about in psychology. And, and I just believe that that growth mindset is always going to serve you better in every situation, especially in your networking and your friendship building. You never have enough friends. And you know what? Maybe the friends that you think you have enough of, maybe they'll decide they don't want to be friends with you anymore too. So you're going to have to find new friends then. But wouldn't it be nice to just always be open to the possibility of connecting with amazing people? And it's almost like, uh, I read this article, I I wish I could remember where I read it, it was a long time ago, it was probably in the post or something like that, but there was a concept of, if you still have all the same friends that you had back in ninth grade, 10th grade, not that you won't have some of those same friends, but if you are just running with the same people, have you really grown or changed at all? Because it's very unlikely that everybody in that core circle grows and changes in the same way. So it's a way to stop and say, so like, friends coming in and out of your life or also redefining what a friend is, right? I think sometimes like we feel like, well, if you're not my, same way in dating and relationships, if you're not my everything, then this isn't real, right? Like, I mean, that was, that. that's what I saw with my client, right? They wanted their partner to be their resume writer and their physical trainer and their cheerleader and their romantic partner. And, and if somebody couldn't do one of those pieces, they're like, well, you don't love me and you don't care about me, right? And and so really understanding everybody can play a role, I think is so important. But you talk about the fear and judgment. So one question I've started asking my guests on here is, tell me about yourself at age seven. Like who was Rachel at age seven? Oh my gosh. So seven was second grade and I was really loud, <laughs> which is shocking. I know. Uh, ironically, I did not have a lot of friends. So I got bullied a lot when I was in grammar school. And so probably second grade, I was still a little bit protected because we were little enough. But then by fourth grade, it was a hot mess. And I ended up switching schools in sixth grade because it got so bad. Uh, But yeah, I just, I think I was just, it's going to sound really jerky, but I was really smart as a little kid. And I knew all the answers. And I did not know better than to answer every single question that ever was asked. Uh, So that made me really popular. What did you love doing? Like, what were some of the activities? And I'll tell you why I'm asking. What what were some of the activities and things that you loved doing? Um, Anything involving the computer, because we just, and now I'm going to sound really old, but we just like got computers. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I I was in the academically talented program. So I was a total Mm -hmm. geek. But we got to play like Oregon Trail and like all of those like really old games. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I died every time. And I think I was probably a little (laughs) older than seven when I was playing that. But even in that, that younger age, like anything on, on a computer was just so fun to me. Well, and there was a study that done that says that you're at your most authentic when you're seven. And that's because they say like at age seven, you are young enough that you don't care yet, truly, truly care yet about other people's opinions the way that you will. You're just kind of starting to, but it hasn't affected you yet. But you're old enough to kind of have stepped into who you're going to be. So, so I don't I know, know it all. anything <laughs> magical. Yeah. About age seven. Right. But like I was I was curious because you talk a lot. I mean, this is all tying into 
being authentic, right? When we're yeah. talking about c- connecting and friendships and relationships and why dating goes ba- bad and why our connections go bad and why jobs go bad and why it's usually because we are not being true to who we are. I mean, I know that the the five-year relationship that I had that ended up crashing and burning and changing my life for the better, but the reason... I, you know, I, I I watch your Instagrams and there was like a question the other day, like, you know, stop asking why they keep doing this and ask why you keep allowing it. Well, the Rita back then allowed it to continue to happen. And when I really dig in, it was because I was scared to be my true authentic self because I lived in a place of scarcity that they're just because of the unworthiness, right? You can tie everything back to that worth, right? Like I'm not worthy enough for love. So the fact that this guy landed on my doorstep, whoa, that's a fluke, right? Like I got to keep him because there won't be another one that comes around. So now I can't really reveal who I am. I have to go along with what he wants and who he wants me to be, which of course made me miserable. And then I never felt like he really liked me. And so then I had to like get the external validation that he did, which only like created the situation where he didn't really like me and then eventually like left me, right? And like, so it's like all of this yeah, the wow. parking lot dude, right? Lot, yeah, uh, parking lot dude, man. I call him <laughs> aces in my my blog. I call him ace in my in my blog um, because we met playing poker one night. <laughs> we met playing poker one night. But yeah, like so, it's this this whole cycle, and all of these things are connected, right? And so when you get to what where we were saying around, like it's the fear, the the fear of other people's opinions, the fear of judgment, the fear of being rejected, and there's no place, there are no two. I mean. Dating and running a business are the exact same thing, guys. I say this almost every time. I, why was I able to transition so easily from date coaching into business coaching? Same principles, same core mindset concepts that are necessary, right? But there's no place that that rejection feels scarier than when money is on the line and you're living in scarcity, right? So if you're living in scarcity, a mindset of scarcity, that there's not going to be enough and that no more clients are going to come in, no more potential money is going to come in, then you take the rejection really hard, right? Meaning you're not going to be authentic <laughs> and the same cycle will repeat in in business, right? And so because of, because of our insecurity. So I guess my question really is, as I say this all out, is like, how can you overcome these insecurities so that you're able to be your authentic self? And you talk about it in terms of like loving yourself more, right? You just need to love it. But of course, everything on the internet is like, well, you just need to do this. Like, love yourself. <laughs> right? Like, okay, thanks. Bye. And it's like, well, time out. I like things to be like really actionable, right? So if people are sitting there listening to this podcast, and they're like, no, I do have fear of rejection. I do have fear of failure. I, I don't want to, like, I want to speak, but I don't get up on stages and speak because what will other people think and, and the judgment and all of this stuff. And so they're living this life that's not authentic. And that's why they're not having the success that they want, right? Like, it's like they think they're not being they think they're being who they need to be to get the success, but because they're not being true to themselves, that's exactly why they don't have the success. So how do they break that cycle? What are some tangible actions people can take to start being okay with the feeling of insecurity? You know, I think it's it's what I would say to anybody who is in a position where they're feeling insecure about any sort of element of putting themselves out there, taking a risk is you have to start taking the steps that will allow you to get the validation you need to feel more confident. Because if you just sit and you allow things to pass you by, nothing is going to change. And I'm not saying I am not one of those people that's like, you know, burn all the ships in the harbor. I'm far more of a realist and practical. So I believe in small steps make big impacts. And I also believe that when you get some sort of recognition or something clicks, whether it is speaking on a stage or getting that client you have to channel that feeling of when it worked in order to get out of your head of when you're feeling insecure of whether this is going to work again. So I haven't met anybody who has gotten into a business, especially as an entrepreneur, where it's never worked. You know, they wouldn't be doing it if they've never felt that rush, right? So part of it is remembering how that felt and then taking little small steps to allow that feeling to come back to then motivate you further. It's a roller coaster. You know, there's nobody out there, no matter what level they're at, that doesn't have doubts sometimes. I went on, I've been on my roller coaster for the last freaking 12 years at this point. It's insane. I look back and I was like, wait a second, you haven't had a W2 in 12 years? Like, what the hell? How'd you feed those kids? <laughs> like, I don't even know. I'm like, you are, do you this? Still alive? Who are you? 
yeah, like we still have a house. That's weird. Um, because, and there have been those times where it's like, it's scary, but then it's like, okay, what are the steps I need to take? And it might not be a leap. It can be a step that's going to reinforce that I'm in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And I think, and this conversation gets interesting too, because I was talking to another one of my friends, Esther Boykin, who's a therapist, right? And we're talking about, um, we're talking about leading a room in Clubhouse on entrepreneurship and, 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 uh, mental health and that, you know, therapy's not a dirty word because that's our foundation. Therapy's not a dirty word. And, you know, we were talking about in entrepreneurship, not only are you facing, these fears and these insecurities that kind of have you making bad decisions and doing bad things. But then you're almost afraid to ask for the support and the resources and the help that you need because you're supposed to know it. You're supposed to be an expert. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to have it all together, right? And so if you do feel disconnected or like you're not having friends or you don't have good relationships or you, it's going to be hard to ask for it because you feel like, but I can't portray that to the world because if I do that, if I say, I don't know something or I don't have something or I'm feeling a certain way and I allow myself to be vulnerable, then my whole business will crash and burn because now everybody will know I'm quote unquote a fraud and I'm not an expert, right? So like that that weight from being an entrepreneur and feeling like I can't ask for help. I can't ask for support. I can't, you know, do so when it comes to taking steps, support is really what allows you to do it. So what are some good ways that people can tap into that like feeling okay with asking for help. Because I think we have conditioned, and I know you know from like the lawyer world, right, or the corporate world, that asking for help is almost a sign of weakness. Like, I should know this. I should have this figured out, right? And I don't know why that happened or when it happened, but a lot of people say they struggle with asking for help, mainly because they feel like they're too much or they're infringing or whatever the reasons are. But I don't think they can do anything that you said, even like the remembering and the little small steps without having these connections and these relationships. So how can people start asking for help and creating some of these meaningful connections? It's so dumb. Like (laughs) the fact that we do this to ourselves is, is the biggest waste of our time and energy. And I'm the first person to admit that that is me, you know, and I still work through asking for help. And I think part of it's because I know if I spend enough time on something, I will try to figure it out myself. But is that really the best use of time? We were talking about this before we started. It's like, I've now outsourced so many things and that's not asking for help. That's hiring help that, you know, it's the same thing. It's taking something off of your plate so that you can focus on what you do better. But in terms of asking for help and getting the support that you need from a mental health standpoint, from an emotional support standpoint, people around you want to help you and they want to see you succeed and they want to be asked for help. There is not one person that, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a friendship or a professional relationship with that they reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, Rachel, like, I really do need you. The one, I wouldn't feel honored by it, that they felt like they could come to me. And two, I wouldn't drop everything and do whatever they needed me to do. Because I think, you know, when you have the right network, those are, that's who's surrounding you. And it's it's definitely a mental state. It's a mindset that has to shift and acknowledging, you know, what is going on within me that needs support? You know, where am I at? How filled is my cup? How empty is my cup? And and how do I make sure that I'm connecting with people who can can assist in that? And then it's it's doing it. You know, it's it's fighting through that uncomfortable state of this is gonna really feel awkward, but I know it's gonna be worth it. And just, you know, do like Nike says, just do it. Just do it. I know that and that that's where the support. So you guys have like, and that's what I think I love about. Clubhouse. So for everybody who's like, Clubhouse, like, yes, I know the past couple of episodes have all been about Clubhouse <laughs> in different ways. But if you missed any of them, please go. So I did like a whole series where I did like a, I, well, I interviewed Brian Fanzo. That's how it started, right? Love everybody, him. Brian Fanzo. And then from uh, Brian's interview, it turned into like breaking, like talking about Clubhouse, what it is, breaking it down, how somebody can get on Clubhouse. And then I live coach somebody through like using Clubhouse and, and creating connections and like meaningful connections in in clubhouse and so if you guys don't but what i love about clubhouse is the the people who are there and i don't know if it's because of the kind of app that it attracts a certain kind of people or something like that but what i've noticed is everyone in there really does truly want not ever i mean obviously there are exceptions to the rule but want to help and and support you can easily find those people and the people who have been wanting to help and support me are way ahead of the game 
in almost every area within me, right? They're uh, they're more advanced in their speaking careers, they're more advanced in publicity, they're making more money in their business, they're, you know, whether they've been doing it longer or shorter is irrelevant, they're further ahead. And they see nothing wrong with me asking for support, right? In fact, they kind of judge the people who don't. They're like, oh, that's not going to be good. That's not going to help, right? So I think it's understanding that the right people won't judge you for asking for that support and that help. And and so do it on a small scale, right? Like start with something small. I like your actionable advice of doing something small. Talk to me though. So I'm going to ask you for your help on something. Okay. So now that we're talking about help, I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask. So now I'm putting you on the spot because you're like, no, I'm kidding. Because you're like, oh my God, I need you to know. But the one thing I want to ask you is why do I hate meditation so much? <laughs> because you are also a hypnotherapist, which to me in my head, like total, I totally want to judge that. I know it's a real thing, but I feel like going, well, that's just a load of whatever, right? Like that's just a title to sound fancy, but I know it's not. I mean, I really know it's not, but really hypnotherapy is nothing more if you think about it than like a type of meditation, but I hate meditation. I have tried. I try to do it. I fight it. I resist it. I want to do it. I was even in a clubhouse room the other day that Chris Delaney was leading where he ends up with a meditation. The minute we got to the meditation part, I was like making eggs, like doing everything (laughs) else and just like listening to it because I fight meditation so hard. So having that be an expert uh, expertise of yours, tell me what's going on with me and why am I fighting and resisting meditation so much? I think you have a very busy brain. And you probably find it very difficult to turn it off. And you think that meditation means that you have to clear your head. So you just avoid it because that feels like an insurmountable task. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. If it's not that, if it's not, if it's not clearing my head, like what is meditation? Or like how how would you use it? Well, there's different versions. Okay. Yeah, tell me. (laughs) I need to know more. I need to know more about this. I need to know. Pretend that we had an entrepreneur in front of you who is like, hey, I'm struggling to to let go of anxiety. I'm struggling to, uh, to be able to even take the actions that I need to take to be able to do all of these things that you're talking about. I want to do them. I try, I try to like calm the anxiety. I try to, and I can't do it. And I want hypnotherapy to help me. Like, what does that do for someone? How does that work for someone? So meditation and hypnotherapy can both be, uh, guided, which is what I do in, in hypnosis. And I, I don't do it a lot anymore. I did a lot of, um, I used to do yoga retreats. I did a retreat in Iceland and Mexico and Puerto Rico. And like, I basically just wanted to travel. Uh, so I would host yeah. these retreats and do, uh, do hypnosis and, uh, Shavasana. And for me, hypnosis was way better because it was guided the entire way. So it was almost like playing a movie in your head. It was, you know, if if you can get lost in the movie, you can get lost in hypnosis and meditation. Typically people think that I'm just sitting there breathing. So that's the difference. And, And there are guided meditations too. So it's not that all meditation is like that, but a lot of, you know, purists definitely do just sit there and they focus on their breath, which can be very distracting for people with busy brains. However, the breathing itself is just such an important aspect of, of really getting over any sort of anxiousness because it, it allows us to really get control of our nervous system. So regardless of how you get there, uh, when you get there, it really has a huge impact for anxiety uh, and any sort of confidence. I've done meditations for confidence and anxiety and all sorts of things. But, you know, it's it's in my experience, really powerful to get people into a mind state. So a lot of times I'll walk people through, you know, we were just talking about the feelings about, you know, when something worked, right? You know, that excitement that you felt when you were on stage and you killed it, when you landed a client, like that, that height of of the world kind of feeling. Well, you can channel that in, in a hypnosis session. You can feel into that, almost imagine it as if you're reliving the experience once you're in that state. And then apply that to a goal in order to really trick your mind into being more powerful than you feel. And so for me, I've seen it, you know, and it's worked a lot with athletes, you know, athletes, it's like that be the ball and visualize the win. And it's the same thing. It's just, it's more subconscious than conscious. Okay. All right. So I don't have to totally clear my mind. I can send you a track that you can play with. Yep. I will send you a confidence track. Uh, that I actually, is that the one that I included in my book? I don't remember. 
<laughs> it's like I've done in so your many past of book them. or the current the current book the new, the new book the new book yeah I just okay we're gonna, we're gonna track. talk about but, but that's a good segue because I do want to talk about the new book so tell me a little bit about who this book is for what it's about what motivated you to to put it out into the world yeah so the book is called relatable how to connect with anyone anywhere even if it scares you and it's it's really focused on especially millennials and gen z's with social anxiety or any sort of lack of confidence or awkwardness in those social situations where they want to do it better uh, and they want to make those real connections, but feel like there's something holding them back. And it was born uh, out of a keynote that I started giving and uh, just saw the impact that it was having. And so, you know, I had planned on continuing to give that keynote throughout 2020 and eventually write the book, but then 2020 had different uh, plans for me. And it said, you need to sit down and write a book because you're not going anywhere. So I, I did that last year and I was able to uh, get an amazing publisher who's an imprint of Simon & Schuster to pick it up and they are putting it out September 7th. So I'm really, really, really excited. So uh, so Gen Z, I feel like Gen X is just the forgotten generation, right? It is like you hear jokes yeah. about that, but like you'll read all this stuff about baby boomers and the way they communicated and the way that they connected with each other. And then we get to the millennials, right? And the millennials started like, I remember being a date coach and I would go out into an audience, right? To, to be on a panel or something. And half the audience would say they wanted phone calls and they wanted, you know, that connection. And the other half was like phone calls. <laughs> like I would not date anyone who, and they were serious, who would call me on the phone. Like, that's terrible. I would rather be texted. And then other people are like, texting? No, if you don't want to pick up the phone and call. So like the, the connections, as we were getting more connected on social media, the way we were connecting became more removed, right? Instead of voice, it was text instead of, but, but now with Gen, because Gen Z comes after millennials, right? So now with Gen Z, it, do you think that there's a return? I mean, is it, is it just a generational difference? Is it just my imagination? Is it because of the pandemic? But I'm noticing a return to craving more real ways of connecting again, which is why I think Clubhouse is actually really popular among Gen Zs. Like it is a really popular app and it's voice connection, right? It's that and people are connecting quicker and faster. Are people going to start like do I need to get my phone ready to get phone calls again? Like, how, how, what what are we returning to? Or is it just, I mean, I kind of want it in my head. I it would be so great to go back to, you know, wanting to meet people for coffee and actually picking up and having a phone conversation instead of a text conversation. Um, is that is that possible or have we really changed the way that we communicate forever? I think it's a mix of all of those things. I do believe that it's availability over everything. I mean, we did not, we didn't have texting. We had phone calls on your parents' line. <laughs> you yeah, know, you had and you, to sit in the house and wait for it. Yeah, right? and like, you were lucky enough. You got your own and line. And you didn't know who was calling when they called. Yeah, yeah like it was just wild. We just, it was dark ages, uh, wild west out there. And then it moved on to beepers, which is like the, the most uh, yeah. impersonal way of getting in touch with somebody. Let me just beep you. <laughs> Might as well, just, you know, still poke each other. Uh, and then, you know, it's just been this evolution. So I think part of it's just accessibility and there's an ease to it. And I will tell you right now, I don't mind phone calls, but I'm not going to pick up unless I want to, because it's a convenient time, you know? So, and I'm, I'm old as dirt. So I'm not, I think it's definitely like, there's a lot of personal preferences and it's changing and evolving based on availability of what's out there. I think clubhouse is different because of it really does allow people to connect in a in a place and time where that is not possible. I don't know if Clubhouse would be as popular as it is if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic and locked down, you know, not that we're still locked down, but we are locked down from conferences and, you know, that connection. So it's fulfilling a need. And I don't, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens when life returns to somewhat normalcy, if it's going to be as popular. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen to Clubhouse when life gets back to fully normal, right? Because a lot of people have started getting really consistent with like a nightly room at nine o'clock or a daily room. And like it, yeah, when the real world is back open full time, I don't know how that can just persist. I don't think it can. Yeah, I, I think so. there's going to be a lot of shifts. But, you know, I do think Gen Z is very interesting. They, they do call uh, them the realist generation because they really do crave authenticity. You know, I, I remember when I first started talking about going on TikTok and I was like, crap, you know, crap, I don't want to have to brush my hair. And they're like, please don't like you need to show up. I have about 75 different hoodies that are, are focused. 
on in, in my TikTok. Like it's just a different hoodie every day. Like I don't put the effort in because they don't want it. They want real, they want authentic. And you know, the, the research has shown that they're the most into self-development and self-awareness. So there's some hope for us <laughs> as a society. So we're, 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 we're banking on you, Gen Z. Yeah, get it together, guys. To, to save it. So if, if, if people are out there saying, look, I want to communicate better. I want to connect better. I want to, um, you know, in my conversations with people when I'm, I always hear this, like, how can I, how can I find the right people for me? How can I, you know, in dating, right? How can I make sure that this is, a compatible person or how, and, or with clients, right? How do I get my ideal clients or how do I really connect in a way that makes them trust me and value me and um, all these things about, and and you and I have led rooms on, on Clubhouse before around curiosity and asking better questions and going deeper in connection. So what would you say to somebody who's like, what are the actual skills of being a good communicator? How could I, what would I work on if I feel like my communication skills are probably lacking. I would like to grow those communication skills. Where would somebody start? Well, it's interesting. The first thing that I would say, and I would make this their absolute necessary step is related to everything we've been talking about, which is just being present and paying attention puts you ahead of the game half the time because nobody pays attention. Everybody's distracted by something, whether or not it's your phone or something else in the environment or you know, just feeling uncomfortable making eye contact, feeling uncomfortable, you know, really being intent on this conversation. That is where everybody needs to start because you can't communicate if you're not there. And people feel that. And, you know, it, people always say you need to feel seen and heard to really connect in a conversation. But so often the simplest things we're not doing. And that's where I think if people really want to start focusing on something just for the next week, practice being absolutely present. That means not getting distracted, putting your phone away, turning the TV off, getting rid of all the other distractions and pay attention to what people are saying. I guarantee you're not doing it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that people have such a hard time listening or feeling like, I know people with good intentions who are like, I'm going to put my phone away or I'm going to minimize my other windows or I'm going to, but within like five seconds, right? It, it, it's back or people are like, no, I'm going to listen to you. And then they're already now in their head, either thinking about like grocery shopping or thinking about the thing that they're going to say. Why has this become so difficult? Well, I think at some point, you know, we need to recognize we are very self-centered as humans. You know, we we do, we have our own intentions at the, the front of mind. We have our own lives, you know, and plans and all of those things. So, and thoughts, you know, there's the, the saying of we don't speak or we don't listen to reply. We listen to speak ourselves or I just butchered that. Something oh like my that. God. You know what I mean? That. Like we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't listen to listen. We listen to reply. I think that's closer to it, but it, the intention there. It's like, we just don't, we want to get our stuff out. We want to focus on ourselves and really a relationship is about giving to the other person and being of service to them. And that service isn't, you know, you don't have to be at their beck and call. You could just freaking listen to them. And that is going to make that person feel amazing you know, and feel like the center of the universe. And there's studies that show that the person who talked the most in the conversation will rate the conversation the highest. And that means that, you know, we we want to be heard just as much as we want to speak. But if you are trying to build a relationship and you're trying to show up better, make them talk more, but make them talk in a way that makes them feel like they're being paid attention to. And you'll actually learn more by listening more. So if, to go back to Clubhouse, I was introducing somebody in a room. It was just a room about celebrating wins, right? And I was introducing somebody in the room and we asked one question based off of their bio, like for fun, right? And I said, so it said like Netflix binger or something. And I was like, well, what what are your Netflix like shows that you love to binge? And she said medical shows. Now I could have moved on from that to the next thing and said, okay, so celebrate your wins, right? But I was like, well, I'm curious, right? Like, why why medical? Like, she had nothing in her profile to say doctor or anything like that. I was like, why medical shows? And she thought, she's like, I don't know. And then I didn't, like, interject. I wanted to, you know, that awkward pregnant pause, right? But I, like, had the pause. And then she got into, well, I think it's because my mother had really battled breast cancer. And, like, I think it was because of it. And, like, we learned more about her from that response than we would have ever. And it came from, like, letting that conversation organically and naturally go somewhere. But at the end of it, she was like, I feel incredible. Like, I feel like so connected to everybody in this room. And we had really said nothing. Do you know what I mean? We had said nothing but asked questions. So I'm real. So listen, 
be present. Those are two things you guys can do immediately, right? Listen and, and be present. And then the last thing that, I mean, I, I there's more that I want to know. It's actually the last thing. But what it is, is, you know, that sort of kind of close the loop on this, right? Your book is about being relatable and how to connect to anyone, anywhere, even if it scares you. And like human connection, I think right now people are craving human connection more than ever before. We're hearing it. We're feeling it. The pandemic definitely like kicked that in in a hard way. But now there are all of these false ways to experience that connection. So people are craving it. But now there are ways to kind of, like you said, make people feel like they're getting it and they're really not. And then they're just stuck in like this loneliness kind of thing. So what is what is one thing? So we have like how to, when you are with somebody, listen and be be present, that will deepen the connection. But what is a way right now that somebody can really evaluate, am I really connecting? Like, or is am I just giving myself that false illusion of connecting? How can people go out and and truly like satisfy the craving for human connection? They have to have actual conversations. So that's where it, it changes from, you know, I think people think that liking and commenting and, and being in a room with someone on Clubhouse could be a connection. Obviously, you have there's a live person somewhere, but you have to take it to a conversation to actually connect. And that means that you're learning about them. They're learning about you. They're, you're not going to have a connection built until you actually start to spend some time getting to know them as a human being, as opposed to a picture or a voice or a video. So putting that effort in and, you know, I see it so often on, on social, all socials, including Clubhouse, where people are just interested in growing followers. I'm like, what the hell does that do for you? You know, good for you. You hit 50,000. So proud of you. How many of those are you actually having a connection with? Yeah, you know, what do does you that really mean? know anything about? Yeah. yeah. How many are you actually talking to or interacting with, right? Or engaging with you in any kind of significant way? So I love this. So guys, an actionable step, because you know, Rita made me do it, right? A step you can take and something you could challenge yourself to do no matter where you are in feeling that you are good or bad at communication and connecting with people is... Look at your your networks, your social media networks, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, wherever you are, or all of those places, and ask yourself, who is somebody that I'm talking to through here, but I haven't talked to in any other way? So maybe you've only talked to them through commenting in a Facebook group or, you know, uh, just listening to them talk in a room on Clubhouse. And then I challenge you to to reach out and say, hey, let's let's get together for a 10-minute phone call or a 10-minute Zoom coffee chat or let's... And then the point of that will be for you to learn about them, not talk about yourself. Ask some questions about them, find out more about them, listen, be present, let the conversation go where it will. And I think that that's like a really good first step. So Rachel, I really appreciate you. I'm, I'm curious. So the, the some of the questions I ask my guests are, are things like, what podcasts are on your podcast playlist right now? Do you even listen to podcasts anymore since being in Clubhouse, right? That should really be the question. Like, have you let go of podcasts since being in Clubhouse? I feel like like Clubhouse has become just one long podcast that I'm I'm involved in. And sometimes I'm on it. And sometimes I listen. I, I've given up so much. I used to read a book at least like every two, three days. I, re I read a lot. And I've read two books in the last two months. And that makes me sad inside. I'm actually forcing myself to get back into it because I really do enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, I haven't listened to a podcast in so long or audiobook. Yeah, I, know, it's I crazy. used to do audio. Or read a book or like listen to it. I know I, I wrote down that I wanted to kind of incorporate that back back yeah. into the world, especially when your book comes out. I need to be ready. Like when your yeah. book comes out in, it's like in September. Is that what you said? September? September to, 7th. To be you, ready could, for it. Yeah. you could read the book while still half listening to, to Clubhouse. To Clubhouse. But that would not be being present. That's true. Actually, like, but I wouldn't know it. <laughs> and not distracted or anything like that. So Rachel, where can people find out more about you? Where are the best places to find Rachel and connect with Rachel? I am Rachel D'Alto everywhere. Uh, I am on Instagram. That's probably still where I'm connecting the deepest with people, whether it's in DMs or in comments. Uh, and then obviously, because let's go full circle, I am a TikTok star. You can find me on TikTok. Actually, on TikTok, I'm the Rachel Dialco because I screwed up my first account. Well, I mean, it makes sense <laughs> because you're the celebrity. So there, you have to be the Rachel uh. Dialto. Yeah. Uh. The As opposed Rachel to Oh, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to start other... changing that. That's going to be my new handle everywhere. Just uh, Rachel Bialto. And they'll be like, wait, how many of, <laughs> how many of you are there? 
<laughs> one of the Rachel Dialtos in the world. You know? Oh, so guys, I will put all of her contact information in the show notes. If you are in Clubhouse, you'll know how to connect and find uh, Rachel there as well. And you can stalk her all around the club and you can stalk her all around the internet. And you should because her her information is entertaining and it's educational. It's good inter, in, inter not entertainment, uh, edutainment, right? It's edutainment, education and entertainment all wrapped up in one. I appreciate you being here, Rachel. Is there is there anything that you wish I had asked you that I did not ask you? Um, I mean, the fact that we didn't discuss my favorite color was kind of insulting. I mean, yeah, I don't really care about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm curious. Now I have to know. It's like, see, you said it. It's like, what is your favorite color? Now it better be exciting. Just saying. Be interesting. Yeah, I don't don't, don't have one. I love all the colors of the rainbow. (laughs) All the colors. I love all the colors. All right. Cool. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Catch me next week on another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Read and Me Do It show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life-changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, Every month, one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to readamimidoit.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.